This podcast contains spoilers, explicit language, and is not meant for anyone younger than 13. Do not harass any of the names mentioned in this episode. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to John vs. Film. And in this week's episode of Batman Month, we're going to be taking a look at the hour and something odd minute long movie, Batman Year One. Which came out in 2011, is directed by Sam Liu and Lauren uh, Montgomery and is and the writing credits are Tab Murphy with the other credits being Frank Miller you know David Matsujelli Matsujelli I'm sorry I butchered that name real bad so David and Richmond Lewis, and those three are from the graphic novel this movie's based off of the same name, Year One. And, of course, the credit, Bob Kane created, Batman created by, which, you know, less we say about what Bob Kane actually created, the, the better, because it wasn't really, let's just say Bob Kane has a bit too much credit in Batman's creation. But anyway, enough shade for Bob Kane. You know, we're going to be talking about the movie now. And just as a heads up, I'm not going to be doing a comparison to the graphic novel it's based off of. I have read Batman Year One, but it's been years since I did. So I, and I didn't reread this for this review. It's, I'm mostly just focusing on the movie itself. So just as a heads up, you know, I I can't really give you an accurate statement of whether how strongly this movie sticks to its source material or not, at least not from the top of my head. You know. But anyway, I also have before I get into the review, I, I'm gonna have, you know, a little announcement. Um and I guess I should make this, you know, announcement just in case, you know, you're confused, you know, about the earlier episodes. I'm thinking about calling quits on John versus film. Hey, not John versus film, blah, not the podcast. No, I, I still plan on doing the podcast. I meant the, sorry, <laughs> false alarm. John versus critics, the segment I sometimes have at the end of the episode, because honestly, it's just kind of boring for one. Too, you know, I, I don't want to, again, you know, it's just, sometimes it's hard to tell whether, like, a review is being made in bad faith or it's legit criticism, because, uh, you know, sometimes the language, they kind of, you know, get mixed up with a lot of swear words and insults, you know, and, yeah, I don't know, it's just, I think it's fine just me doing my own opinions and, all that, but now I gotta try to be funny with my own thoughts, which that sucks. That really sucks. 
But yeah, so I think going forward, unless I somehow come across a very egregious review that I heavily disagree with in a future, you know, movie I review, you know, or just, you know, like something that like is a really bad review. I pretty much going forward, I'm just going to stop looking for negative reviews on IMDb and just John versus critic is done. It's it. And yeah, I know I, at this point, by the time this episode comes out, I don't really have any active listeners, but this is for when you, or if you go back and listen to the earlier episodes, you'll be confused. Like, Hey, where's John versus critic? So yeah, anyway, enough about that segment that nobody cares about except me. And even I don't care about it. <laughs> uh, so, hang on. My computer is being dumb. It popped up something I don't want to pop up for no apparent reason. It's literally blocking the notes that I typed up on my phone. <laughs> I'm not getting my phone now. It's on, like in another room charging. So yeah, let me... I'm not going to edit this out, of course. You know, we're, we're putting this mistakes in all the way forward. So, yeah. Anyway, enough of the, you know, random jarble that has taken too much time. We're getting into this review right now. So how it goes in John versus film, in case you have not listened before. I talk about five things I like. Then I talk about th- five things I dislike. And then I go and talk about my overall thoughts. So here we go. Starting off with what I like. And the big thing that I like about this movie, it is Brian Cranston's Commissioner Gordon. Or, well, he is not Commissioner Gordon in this movie. He's Lieutenant Gordon. Lieutenant Jim Gordon or James Gordon. You know, I love you know, Brian Cranston is just a phenomenal actor, so it's it's hardly a surprise, you know, when you know we hear, you know, we see Jim Gordon beating up Flash, and Jim says, "What's my name?" and Flash says, "Jim Gordon," and then Gordon responds with, "You're goddamn right." <laughs> so dated meme aside, you know and. Back to actual thought. Yeah, I, you know, enjoyed Brian Cranston's performance as Gordon. He did a very good job with this interpretation of Gordon. You know, and again, Brian Cranston is just a great actor. So it's kind of like, it 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 is kind of a freebie just to say, or just kind of an obvious. Well, obviously, Brian Cranston was great. I mean, has there been a time when Brian Cranston? wasn't great you know let let me know in the comments down below but to continue on this point i also love you know the store like gordon's story in this movie this movie really focused a lot on gordon you know which i actually pretty like you know i liked you know i really liked the story you know of gordon like at the beginning of the movie he's entering you know he's joining the gcpd for the first time as a lieutenant you know, and he gets to see the corruption firsthand. You know, and how he kind of fights the corruption on his own terms. You know, and how he slowly try, you know, takes over the, you know, GCPD. And 
also, you know, just, you know, we got hints of his military background and Gordon not being a pushover. You know, Gordon here is also badass. Oh, but yeah, like a couple moments, uh, like instance at the and like within the first 15 minutes of the movie, Jim is, you know, assigned a partner. His name is Flash and he's he's like the Flash Thompson of GCPD. He uh, he talks down to Jimmy. He's like, hey, Jimmy, can I call you Jimmy? Yeah, it's OK, Jimmy. I'm going to beat these guys up. But yeah, he he's one of the corrupt, you know, goons uh, working for Commissioner Loeb, who who really is one of the antagonists, or I I would consider him the main antagonist or the closest thing to antagonist. But yeah, you know, Flash mentions, you know, that hey, you know, Gordon's not really fitting in. Loeb is disappointed and they give, you know, <clears throat> Gordon a message by like, Am like Flash and a couple of his buddies, you know, wear ski masks and have bats and they, you know, ambush Gordon in an empty parking lot. And Gordon's also a bit rusty, so he gets his ass handed to him. But because Gordon was like, Watching Flash at the very beginning of the movie beat up uh, some random kid who had a comb. Yeah, he pretty much like Flash is that type of corrupt jerk that thing who's like on an ego trip, you know, and all that. But anyway, you know, Gordon follows, you know, finds out where Flash hangs out. He follows him and then like hits Flash's car and they both, you know, like just to the, so they could get into the, like side of the road or a little like just off the road, essentially. Flash, you know, gets out and then Gordon, you know, comes out. He has his gun pulled out. And he's still bruised up from the beating he took. And he has a, you know, wooden bat in his other hand. So, one hand he's pointing the gun at Flash, and the other hand he's holding a wooden bat. But what he does is that he says, you know, hey, I'm gonna give you know Flash, you know, a handicap. And he throws the bat at Flash, you know, handing to him. Um, and then Gordon drops his gun, you know, and pretty much just like, come on, let's go. And what happens is that Gordon wipes the floor with Flash and. Ends up leaving the guy butt naked in the snow. And in his narration, he's like, yeah, I know. Flash ain't going to testify me. Gets me or anything because he's too proud of himself. He will say that like 10, 15 guys, you know, jumped him or something like that. So, yeah, those are cool. But another element that I really liked about this movie is that it really showed, you know, Jim Gordon's flaws or his mistakes, they make him very much human and susceptible to making really shitty, dumb mistakes. So, and the big one that I'm talking about is that he has an affair with his wife, Barva, with a detective that he's working on, you know, to try to stop the Batman. You know, 
yeah, he gets involved in an affair with the cop. But what's nice about this is that Gordon knows what he's doing is wrong. You know, like, you know, for I like, let me just say, and cheating and affairs, they're they're dumb. They're absolutely horrible. You know, like you, I, I don't have much sympathy. You know, for those who, hey, I, okay, you know, what, it, it's kind of like, it's not so black and white as people make it out to seem, but yeah, cheating is pretty scummy. That is like a very scum thing to do, and I don't condone it. Uh, but yeah, they acknowledge what Gordon did was wrong in the movie, and Gordon himself knows what he's doing is wrong, and but. It does sort of, you know, depict a reality because there is a lot of instances where people, you know, like the first responders, you know, police, you know, fire department, ambulance, doctor, you know, people who work, you know, in the emergency field, they, you know, they work long hours. They are, uh, they don't really get to see their loved ones. They can't really talk to their loved ones about what they've seen, like the horrific shit that they've seen, you know. And affairs tend to happen more frequently, just, you know, with stress and heat of the moment going on. But, yeah, anyway, what I also liked about it is that Gordon does eventually own up to his big mistake. Like he is a man and he tells his wife the truth. And well, to give some context, you know, and I think people might disagree with me on this. You know, so like in the movie, he like, first of all, he breaks up with the detective that he was having an affair with, you know, and she, you know, respects his decision. Like, even though she like, gets mad you know she makes a really nasty comment you know it's like hey if barbara wasn't pregnant you know would you win but she like said yeah sorry that that was out of line but she like ends up requesting to go to a different department you know i like guess a transfer because yeah you know after that you kind of have to but what happens is that the affair gets caught as a picture and Commissioner Loeb uses that as blackmail against Gordon. So one may think, oh, so Gordon's going to tell his wife, you know, to avoid being blackmailed. You know, that's the reason why he tells his wife. But that's not the reason. Because he does not tell his wife right after. In fact, it takes him a little while to tell his wife. But earlier in the movie, he tells himself, you know, like certain narration that he should tell Barbara and at, beg for forgiveness but the moment he tells Barbara it's a very it's after so okay in the movie you know Gordon is taking a lead of figuring out who the Batman is and his suspicion leads to Bruce Wayne and Bruce Wayne you know, and his wife comes along because, you know, wife's like, oh, I always wanted to meet Bruce Wayne. And 
when they meet Bruce Wayne, he's playing up an act that makes him look like a, you know, a very disgusting playboy billionaire, you know, and all that, you know, and that leaves Barbara very disgusted. So when they get back in the car and they're about to leave Wayne Manor, you know, Barbara mentions that, you know, Bruce is a womanizing pig. And that was the moment Jim's like, because he's like, holy shit, that's me. And he comes clean to his wife. That was the moment he tells her. You know, so yeah. Overall, I really like Gordon's, you know, story. So my second point of what I like is that this movie has really good, strong visual storytelling with some really nice, you know, cinematography, you know, which I think that one is more because they're, you know, adapting panels from the comics, you know, like, you know, there's the iconic, you know, bat coming through the Wayne Manor window. But still, even though they're adapting, you know, panels from comic, it still lends to having some really good cinematography throughout this movie and also some very smart editing choices as well. Just how like a standout scene is like Gordon doing some target practice and all that. That was good. And then just kind of the symbolism with the bat and all that. So yeah, I I should have wrote down some specific samples now. And Weirdly enough, I don't think I have one other than, you know, shots, you know, where I thought, yeah, cinematography was great. But even then, I just felt like if I put the movie on mute, I could still tell what the heck was going on. So that that is a good sign that there is strong visual storytelling going on is if you can put the movie on mute and you can still follow along what's going, you know what's happening it maybe not every detail but you get the gist of what's you know going on that that's a you know good sign of very good visual storytelling all right so my third point is from what i like is how we get to see batman create you know his mythos and form his relationships but how we also see him being you know very much an amateur. Now, <clears throat> this is kind of in line with Mask of the Phantasm a little bit, where we get to see Bruce discovering how, you know, to be Batman, like he first starts the streets, you know, with being you know, as a random guy with a street jacket and all that, beating people up, and then discovering, you know, bad symbolism and all that, and becoming Batman. But yeah, I like that aspect to it. I like to see when Bruce, you know, Wayne and Batman aren't the indestructible men of men who can do no wrong and beat your ass without blinking an eye. I I like to see one that screws up from time to time. And yeah, you know, here we kind of got that. We got to see, you know, an amateur Batman. And I like how Batman develops a relationship with Harvey Dent before he 
develops one with Commissioner Gordon. I, you know, remembering the film now, you know, I shouldn't say we don't really get to see how he forms his relationship, but we get to see him forming relationships, not exactly how he forms them. You know, and I, I will get into that a little bit on my dislikes. Uh, next part on my like, you know, this goes back, you know, to this visual storytelling, but it also has, I do feel like this movie has a really good use of color, lighting, and shadows. You know, it has, mom- like, this movie has, like, a very distinct color scheme going for it that I really like. You know, and then, you know, it plays along with the shadows. Like, we get to see, you know, Bruce and Gordon in the shadow, you know, and just framing and of everything, you know. I just, I just liked it, okay? Uh, and then finally, the climax of the movie. I, I really like the climax, you know, of Batman and Gordon saving Gordon's, you know, newborn kid from the mafia who want, you know, him to stay silent. But what's really cool about this is that they're threatening his family, like the mafia is threatening Gordon's family right in front of him, you know, with a gun to Barbara's head and a knife to the baby's throat. You know, and they're like, hey, you know, you just do as we say and we'll let them, you know, live. And Gordon in his head, he's like, yeah, if I do as I say, they're dead. So he starts shooting at them. You know, taking them out. And they're like, oh shit, we didn't expect this. But yeah, Bruce Wayne, you know, as Gordon's chasing Mafia trying to save his kid. Bruce Wayne, you know, he's not dressed up as Batman in the scene because Batman can't be on the daylight. He has to be, you know, in the darkness in the night. So he just kind of wears street clothes. You know, he chases the gang, you know, Mafia... On uh, his motorcycle. And they get into like Gotham Bridge. You know with. The one mafia person. You know holding a knife. To trying to kill Gordon. And and they're like leaning over the bridge rail. You know and the baby. Jim's Gordon baby. You know. Junior there. He's like right in between. Which by the way I love that shot. Just the two men fighting with the baby in between them. But they've unfortunately fall, start to fall, you know. And Gordon, you know, like, it's like, no, because, you know, he can't catch the baby with them. But Bruce jumps out off the bridge, you know, and catches the baby. And what happens is that Gordon's able to use the mafia guy, you know, to cushion his fall. The mafia guy didn't really get a cushion so he's kind of just taking a bloodbath and Bruce is standing you know with the baby in his hands you know and Gordon Jr. he's a-okay so but I also like how they pretty much implied that Gordon knows Bruce is Batman but at the same time Gordon doesn't care at this point, he's willing to work with Batman. He he's grown to be like, yeah, okay. You know, he makes a joke. You know, it's like you know, 
I can't really see that well with my glasses on. You know, so it's just that one like, you know what? I see what you're doing. You're trying to save people and I want to work with you. You know, I loved how we get to see that relationship more. So yeah, that's it for what I like about this movie. What do I dislike or my criticisms? And funny enough, I, I felt, I mean, there's still five, but I honestly, I was kind of surprised on my rewatch. This was the second time I watched this movie. I watched the movie uh, like years ago for the first time. You know, but yeah, after this, you know, second watch, I felt there was actually some moments where there, there's stuff that I really generally didn't care for. And I felt that genuinely hurt this movie a lot. Uh, let's go with the first one. So it's Catwoman. You know, Catwoman felt so unnecessary in this movie, you know. And I know she's in the graphic novel, you know, and but I should have mentioned that what was cool is that the end credits for the movie they showed panels, you know, from the graphic novel, you know, as like along with the credits, you know, just little panels all sprinkled throughout, you know, that was cool. So we get to see, you know, that, but yeah, here, like in the movie, like, and I can't, again, you know, say what was it, you know, accurate to the graphic novel or not, because I haven't read the graphic novel in years. So from the movie's perspective, Catwoman felt very wasted. And I also feel very like it was a little misleading. So the description on HBO Max, which that's was how I saw this movie. For the second time, it, it, the description you know says that Batman fights his nemesis Catwoman. However, that's that is true, but it's not true. So, Catwoman and Batman do fight, but how the descriptions make out to be is that that's the you know premise of the movie. That's the plot, but Catwoman it feels very insignificant. And they technically do fight, but it's not as Batman and Catwoman. It's as Bruce Wayne and Selina Kyle, and they don't even know each other. We actually get no other than that one action interaction at the beginning of the movie. So, for context's sake, what's happening is that Bruce is dressed up as you know, kind of like you know, little disguise Sherlock Holmes type disguise, you know, with a fake scar and beanie hat and sports jacket he goes to the streets and he starts picking a fight with a pimp and some prostitutes who are defending the pimp and that gets selena mad when bruce hits one of the prostitutes you know that i guess you know in the movie selena has you know kind of like i guess a big sister relationship with but that's not really explored you know so she gets mad. She jumps out the window and starts fighting Bruce Wayne. And they're actually pretty evenly matched. But other than that, that was like the only significant, you know, interaction between the two. Because the only other interaction those two directly have is that Batman, you know, is ambushing the Falcone family. 
and but Catwoman comes in to cause some trouble, and they are Catwoman and Batman. But as Falcone and Goons are about to go after Catwoman, Batman uses some mini sharp batterings that hit you know the goons at the right spot. You know, you know Falcone's you know at the right spot, knocking them unconscious. And then he, Batman just says, "Hey." Thanks for nothing. And then he goes away. And Catwoman just kind of looks up like, huh. And then looks at the Falcone. He's like, huh, I'm going to scratch him. Oh, and yeah, that was it. You know, so I, I felt like that felt, it's like, what was the point of having Catwoman there if that was literally the only interaction we were going to have between Batman and Catwoman? And other than that, Selena Kyle's character in this movie. I did not care for whatsoever. You know, this is not the Selena Kyle that I prefer. The one who is like the femme fatale who seems to always be at least kind of a step ahead of Batman sometimes. The one who's smart, the cunning, you know, and as sly as a cat, you know. Like, I really like, you know, the interpretation of Catwoman in Batman the animated series. You know, I love that version of Selena Kyle. Not necessarily of the one in the new adventures of Batman, but the, you know, first three seasons, that Catwoman, I really liked her depiction there. You know, just that's the Catwoman I like. And even, you know, the 60s, you know, Adam West Batman, you know, interpretation of Catwoman, I really like that one that I felt was better, you know, because they play on, because they still play on the core concepts of Catwoman, you know, being this, you know, sort of like relationship with Batman, but they're also on the wrong other side of the law and all that, you know, I love that, you know, and also I think, you know, telltale Batman's Catwoman, you know, Catwoman is a great character because she is, in a very like gray area, and we get to you know know why Batman really loves Catwoman, but here, oh, and also I love it when Catwoman you know is saving, like she's not just a thief for being a thief's sake, or sometimes as she, so it's hard to explain, but. Basically, I like it when she's, you know, very skilled, you know, and sometimes she's a thief for being a thief's sake or, but personally, I like it when she's doing it for a bigger cause, like in Batman the Animated Series when she was doing it to save some animals, gather some money, gather some money to save animals and all that. But anyway, here she really is obnoxious. You know, she yells a lot. She's very, you know, hard-headed, I guess would be to say. You know, we don't get that cunningness. We get to see, you know, Catwoman steal a bunch of, you know, Hanna-Barbera Warner Brothers dolls, you know, from Commissioner Loeb and then get mad that she stole it and that Loeb didn't have any jewels, and then rip the freaking valuable dolls and stuff and throw it at the TV. 
And she gets mad that Batman gets the credit on TV and not Catwoman. Which I'm just... And even her little sister friend, you know, she's like, isn't it a good thing that you're not being, you know, getting attention? But yeah, Catwoman, I felt like that this movie failed her, you know, real bad. And there was just, she is not given the proper development or focus in this movie. Uh, Second point is that there was not enough Alfred. Need I say more? Not enough Alfred. That is always a crime in a Batman movie. If you do not have enough Alfred, then you're doing something wrong in a Batman movie. Uh, Then the third thing that I dislike about this movie is that I I thought it was too short. I felt like this movie needed a longer runtime than an hour and four minutes. You know, it... Really was asking because it felt like some things got cut, and you know, granted, like I said, I haven't read the original year one graphic novel yet. So, but what I'm thinking though is, hear me out. I'm thinking this is sort of like a Batman killing joke situation, not exactly, but in the terms of they're kind of just doing a you know, word-for-word word adaptation, not really changing or adding anything to it. And, but for a movie, it really needed some more, you know, stuff into it, you know, that, like, the graphic novel can get away with being shorter or, you know, how it's set up. But with the movie, you gotta, I felt like it needed more stuff, and that hour and four-minute wrong time really hurt this movie I feel like and then the fourth thing you know, so the last two things I dislike they're going to be they kind of go under the same umbrella but let's start off with Batman's you know voice actor I I think he's a great actor and Ben McKenzie McKenzie I think he does a good, you know, Jim Gordon on the show Gotham. You know, by the way, just as an FYI, I stopped like middle of second, you know, season two of Gotham. So I didn't really watch, you know, I haven't seen all of Gotham, but from what I have seen, I really like Ben McKenzie's performance as Gordon in that show. But here as Bruce Wayne, I didn't really care for his performance at the beginning. It, I will admit, it started to grow on me as the movie went along. Like near the end, where I was like, at the end, you know, the movie, I was like, you know, he was he was okay, but yeah, for at least the first half, I just couldn't really see him as Batman or Bruce Wayne. I felt that it was someone miscast. I didn't think. I just couldn't believe, you know, that's the voice of Bruce Wayne or Batman. This could be a Kevin Conroy bias, but I don't think so because the next movie I'm going to talk about, uh, which I've seen a couple times, and I'm going to rewatch it tonight. You know, I 
and thoroughly love his performance as Batman in the next movie I'm going to be talking about. So, but yeah, here it's just, it didn't feel like Bruce Wayne or Batman. So again, he's a great actor, but here is just, it didn't sound right. So that leaves to my final dislike criticism is that the, is that the Bruce Wayne Batman story and the movie called Batman Year One is very secondary to Gordon's story. So yeah. Gordon, you know, his story is the A plot essentially, and making Bruce Wayne's story the B plot, which I think that was a very poor choice. As much as I loved Jim Gordon, you know, story, I felt like we needed more time with Batman. He is the star, and we need to go more into his psyche of why he's doing this or see more of his exploits, but we didn't really get that. This was pretty much Gordon's story, and Batman was not really the main character, even though he's like the only other person narrating the movie. It, it splits between Bruce Wayne narrating and Gordon narrating, but yeah, no, they it felt like, you know, Batman and Bruce Wayne were very secondary in this movie to Jim Gordon's plot. And I and this goes back to an earlier dislike I've had, which was the short runtime. And I I feel like a longer runtime and you could have had more to Bruce Wayne Batman's story could have probably solved, you know, a lot of these issues. You know, and I'm not even saying, you know, don't put, you know, I'm not saying don't put Gordon's story first. I only want to see Batman. I don't care about Jim Gordon. No, what I'm saying is it should have been more even and not kind of more of an overwhelming, oh, this is obviously a Jim Gordon story, not really a Batman movie. I wanted some, I guess, more even, some that's both a Jim Gordon and a Batman story, not Jim Gordon's story with some Batman story. If you give, I'm going through. You know. And that goes for the you know, antagonist as well. Is that, you know, I guess throughout the movie, the conflict is between Bruce Wayne and Bat, like Bruce Wayne and Gordon, because at this point, Batman has not built up a reputation as a superhero. He's just a random vigilante beating up people. To the eyes of the GCPD. You know. So I guess that's the main conflict. But I. I struggle to find. Who the main antagonist is. Because. It wasn't HBO Max description. Of Catwoman being. You know. The nemesis to Batman. That, that surely was. Catwoman was definitely not the antagonist. Or the main antagonist of the movie. I guess Gotham. Gotham was the antagonist, but even then, you know, it's just this movie suffers from a, you know, lack of a main antagonist as well. You know, so I guess that's a bonus bonus dislike, but that ties up into you know, Bruce Wayne Batman story feeling secondary. So Anyway, let's wrap this up. I don't want to talk about this movie much longer, honestly. Uh, with my 
overall thoughts. I did overall I felt like this movie had quite a lot going for it, or at least quite a bit going for it, but it also had quite a bit going against it, and especially that runtime. A longer runtime, I felt like it could have solved a few of these problems, if not all the problems I've had. You know, especially not enough Alfred. You know, if you just gave me a half an hour, you know, 30 minutes of Alfred scenes, I'll be happy. I guess that's all I'm asking for. So, yeah. That is the end of this episode. It's on the shorter end, but that's fine. So, what am I going to be talking about next week? Well, next week, to wrap up the month of Batman, it is going to be the one, oh, the only, a Batman under the Red Hood. Now, funny enough, I was conflicting on whether or not I should do Batman under, under the Red Hood or the Batman versus Dracula. <laughs> and the only reason I would have done the Batman versus Dracula is because, well, one, because I would love to talk about the Batman you know, cartoon that came out in the mid-2000s, but two, because we got the movie The Batman coming out. For, you know, by the time, just to let you know, I'm recording this still a couple weeks before The Batman comes out in theaters. Uh, and, but yeah, the reason I would have, you know, done The Batman versus Dracula is because that has the words The and Batman next to each other you know and that would have obviously you know got more clicks but no i've i felt like as much as i want to talk about the batman versus dracula and i i will assure you at some point if i keep going with this podcast i will eventually talk about the batman versus dracula but i really wanted to do more something that like felt Similar to what the Batman is going for, which is more of a character, darker study of Bruce Wayne and Batman and going more into his personal stuff. And honestly, that's why I thought I was going to get with Batman Year One. And I also heard that, you know, the Batman uses, you know, kind of Year One as like sort of a, you know, a reference point, you know, as one of the references they use. But I was kind of disappointed with the lack of Batman here, so... Or Batman study, you know, study of his character. But the next movie, Batman Under the Red Hood, that definitely, definitely has some study of Batman's psyche and all that. Or why he does the things he does. So yeah, that's it for this episode. If you are listening to this episode on YouTube, I would love it if you press the like button or the dislike button if you just really hate my voice. I know I do. That's why I never listen to these episodes. But yeah, give me a comment. Tell me what I'm doing right or if I'm absolutely wrong and complete idiot. Uh, but also subscribe. I would love to grow subscribers onto this channel. And yeah, uh, you can also find this podcast up on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, 
Podcast Addicts, and Podbean.com. And yeah, and if you also could follow me on there, you know, those platforms as well, that would be great. And I don't know, maybe leave a review. Tell me what the heck I'm doing right or wrong, because I, I don't know what I'm doing. If you knew, if I knew what I was doing in life, do you think I'd be doing a film podcast every week? <laughs> but no, seriously, uh, I would really appreciate a review. And thank you so much for listening, especially if you made it this far. I hope you have a fantastic day. Take care.